get into the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Welcome, everyone, once again to the spoiler room. It is that time once again. Thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up a chair, grabbing your favorite drink. Tonight, I have not your father's root beer. And I have my own actual brewed coffee. Yeah, coffee. We'll put that in quotes. He's got something other than coffee in there, maybe. No, I'm I'm lame. It's just coffee. <laughs> it's yes. black coffee too. That makes Ooh, me tough. That I can't you, be lame. I'm tough. I was gonna say that makes you tough if you drink black coffee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you everyone once again for joining us as we are in full force month. Yes, November is full force month here. Uh, we've been covering some interesting films with the title of force in that title and tonight i decided to set the wayback machine to 1978 because here in the spoiler room no film no film is <laughs> immune to possibly getting the spoiler room treatment and tonight to help me look at this a classic film is none other than my right hand man the man who just keeps coming back for more it is none other than ian simmons hello ian how are you doing sir I'm doing great. A little disappointed that we're not talking about The Force Awakens. You couldn't have worked on a Star Wars movie. <laughs> we did an episode on The Force Awakens when it came out. You can never out. do go, too much, too many on The Force Awakens. Go, go. <laughs> Some people would disagree with you, especially after the conversation we just had uh, in the After Hours, which if you want to check that out, folks, yes, we have a Patreon. Hashtag License to Shill. Check out our Patreon if you want to hear our pre-show uh, BSing going on, but tonight a mashup of Star Wars and Ghostbusters talk. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> no, you, you, you don't want to miss it. And I'm sure it'll have you screaming at your whatever audio device you listen to us on as well. And tonight, 1978. Yes, folks, it is Force Ten from Navarone. And Mr. Ian Simmons, as always, you do such a good job with these. Could you give a synopsis of <sighs> Force Ten from Navarone? You could just read from IMDb. I wouldn't. That's, you know. Uh, well, I have IMDb, IMDb per, pulled up here. Uh, during World War II, several oddly assorted military experts are teamed in a mission to raid and destroy a bridge vital to enemy strategy. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> because I got all my history and geography and probably even math from the movies. So when it comes to like, oh, yeah, this is a, a very important battle in this country. And this is what it meant. There is a helpful opening kind of uh, narration about the significance of this bridge and, you know, Navarone. And there's all these like, I'm going to butcher this. So essentially, there's a territory with this uh dam and this bridge that the nazis are getting their supplies and uh, it basically gives them a stranglehold in the area and so the allied forces are trying to take out this bridge um there is a ragtag group of uh, 
I think mostly Americans. They're led by Harrison Ford. I don't know what's going on with this group. <laughs> they, but they're it, trying it's an to... allied. It's an allied group. But usually, when the British said allied, they meant Americans or French or someone other than British. Um, you know, right? And Harrison Ford is pretty much the main guy who talks out of that group uh, for as long as they're around. Again, spoilers. But uh, they're getting ready to go into enemy territory, and uh, Robert Shaw and this other guy. Uh, get tasked to tag along with them to assassinate a spy mm. named Nikolai. Um, they get shot down, get dropped, I guess, behind em- enemy lines, and they have to uh, fight their way through the countryside, through uh, you know people posing as Russians, actual Russians, <laughs> people who are spies posing as Russians, Nazis, Nazi sympathizers, there's so much crossing and double crossing and triple crossing. I mean, this movie is an absolute mess in terms of like trying to keep track who's on whose side. I think everyone just ends up on the same side eventually because they're just so busy screwing each other over. Uh, but I loved this movie. It's it's amazing. Um, and I don't know why more people don't talk about it. Now, uh, what this actually is, if you don't mind me uh, uh, just rolling back a bit here, Ian, is... And correct at, me, please. I, I probably got all at, of that wrong. No, no. And, and mad, mad proud. And I am not saying I know anything more, but with the opening, that that opening about the island, that was actually Navarone. This is Force 10 from Navarone. So this is like supposed to be somewhat a continuation of... Uh, the movie, because uh, there was the guns of Navarone, which was the island with the impenetrable guns that was causing Is this a mission. sequel to that? So this is, I believe, and I, I feel bad, folks, I have not looked up beforehand, but I believe this isn't, yes, because uh, this is intended to be a sequel to it, to Guns of Navarone. Originally, the character Miller played by Edward Fox and Robert Shaw's character think, Oh, I love Robert Shaw as Mallory are actually supposed to be the characters from guns of the Navarone who were originally played by Gregory Peck and Anthony uh, and uh, David Nevin. David Nevin played Anthony Miller, uh, John Anthony Miller and Gregory Peck played captain Keith Mallory. And so Mallory and Miller in this one, are the same Mallory and Miller from Guns of the Navarone. See, the thing is, like, I had heard of Guns of Navarone, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that this these were connected. I did no research. So I thought that maybe it was just another movie about the same island, you know, because they, they right. do movies about World War II oh, battles yeah. and stuff all the time that aren't really connected. So I didn't know that. Now I want to go watch Guns of Navarone. Yeah, I guess. In fact, let's, let's just come back next week and we'll, we'll pause this and just, yeah. Thanks, everybody. Wait, it's not my show. Never mind. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> well, it even says in IMDb, the film was originally to have been made in 67. But uh, it got held up and, you know, well in 67 and Gregory Peck and Anthony Quinn and David Nevin were going to reprise their roles, which would make more sense. However, the time the film was eventually made, it was decided that they were too old for the sequel. They were even considered too old by some critics in the original film. <laughs> How old were they? Because Robert oh. Shaw was not. Well, no, but uh, the originals, the, the original cast, Gregory Peck, Anthony Quinn and David Nevin, um, they were cripes when uh, 
the Guns of the Navarone came out, which was in uh, what uh, was 1961. So, you know, Gregory, Anthony Quinn was already, what, uh, 46? At that oh, my point. God. No. <laughs> 30? No, yeah, 40. Yeah, if my math is correct. I don't know. I again, I know nothing about history. Yeah, but forty. Like 40. when I when I look at Robert Shaw and uh, and the guy who played Miller, whatever his right. name is, um, uh, Edward Fox. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Oh my God, they're too old to be playing these parts. I just thought, oh, they're just older military guys. Right. I thought they were because just... they're kind of the, the, at the beginning. They're kind of like they're walking around the base and they get pulled back in to this mission. Like uh, you're kidding me. We don't even do that anymore. So it's like. I feel like you could have older, you, you could have even older actors. It still doesn't matter. <laughs> you, you could, you could have older actors in here. Um, so it would have been interesting to see them get the originals, but that's why this film opens the way it does, because it's meant to be a carryover from the gun, uh, guns of Navarone, which I remember now when I watched the opening sequence to this, I'm like, that kind of looked familiar. Cause it's been a long time since I saw the original guns of Navarone, but I'm like, they look familiar. And that's why they had these two guys on the, the the uh, uh, deck of the destroyer that you know got them because they're supposed to be those original characters only older now and See, <laughs> but not I, that old because it's only supposed to be like a couple of, like what a, not even a year later or something like that from when they <laughs> see I it, it's a problem that I start watching these movies at like, you know, four o'clock in the morning. Cause oh. I'm just like getting my coffee and, and getting awake. I thought it was one of those movies where they have that kind of introductory thing. That's not set up, but it's sort of an encapsulation of what you're about to watch. Oh, right. No. And, and that's what it, the way it seems, that's the way it comes off. But no, that's actually supposed to be showing the end of the guns of Navarone. And so force 10 from Navarone is a continuation of that this is the due force which <laughs> yeah I, I love this movie too watching this i'm like oh my god so many familiar faces it's brought to you hold on to your butts folks brought to you by the same director who brought you remo williams the adventure begins which we did talk about a few months ago on this very podcast uh <laughs> which just that's why it's awesome blows my mind but um you know, I I dug this film too. I mean, from from when you're introduced to the Miller and Mallory characters who are sent on a secret mission to a young Harrison Ford who, you know, uh just coming off of Han Solo. I mean, this is 78. So I mean, he he filmed this. I he must have filmed this like right after um and I again, I apologize folks. I did not I'll look up uh, everything for trivia for this, which I'm sure that which there is plenty of because it's an older film. Uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> this he had to fresh off of Star Wars for. Yeah, I, and it's it's weird because. You know, this isn't he doesn't play a Han Solo character. He's a mm-hmm. bit more buttoned up, except for when it. You know, he has to show a little bit more, a bit of menace. We do get a couple of those classic Harrison Ford finger points. Um, you know, he's, he's so masterful at that. Uh, but yeah, this is like before he was Harrison Ford. But watching this movie, you could totally see, oh, he's destined to become that guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is a folks. This has got a lot of 
really solid performers in it. I mean, Robert Sh- Robert Shaw, you don't you everybody's used to him from Jaws. You don't even realize it's Robert Shaw really even look at cuz his hair's cut different thing until he you get the one scene it, there's a scene later on, folks, where they're they're being chased by guys in uh, bandage faces. They they fall behind enemy lines. Things have gone wrong, as you can imagine, with the mission. And there's this one scene, though, with Shaw and Harrison Ford. And Shaw delivers a line or two directly to to the Harrison Ford character that sounds like Quint. And then you see it, you're just like, oh, you know, <laughs> next time you be the corpse. The way he said that, I was just like. That's Clint. There he is right there. <laughs> well, it's also weird because he's got this British accent. I mean, this is only the third, I think, Robert Shaw movie I've seen. You sure. Know, Jaws yeah. from Russia with Love and then mm-hmm. this. Um, you know, he's he's great in it. But uh, yeah, I guess it makes sense that this is a continuation because I didn't know what this movie was. I thought it was just going to be a straightforward kind of war film. And I wonder about Guns of Navarone if it's that if it's this cheeky. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. it's almost a war comedy drama. Um, yeah, because the, all these care and in fairness, there's a lot of these kind of ensemble war movies that I have not seen, like uh, like Kelly's Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I may have watched with my dad when I was too young to remember. But um, so it is kind of an archetype or a, a genre in of itself. But man, it really works here, especially with, uh, you know, at the very end of the film, you've got Carl Weathers and Edward Fox mm-hmm. together. They've kind of had this like distrust kind of relationship because Carl Weathers is the one, you know, black member of this group. And he's being carted away by the like the military police when they come across uh, Harrison Ford's Barnsby character and his group, you know, getting ready to, you know, pretty much steal a plane to go on their mission. And then Carl Weathers gets, he kind of like gets tags along and ends up being a part of this crew. Uh, and there's a lot of distrust because of like the, the racial issues and all that. But by the end of the movie, like he and Miller are such good friends that I swear they're about to make out. And it's just so <laughs> lovely to watch. It is for a film like this, you know, I mean, and yeah, they work a number of, you know, current modern hot topics into this film, race being one of them, because, yeah, uh, you know, he's called he's called a, a not so pleasant name by the British MPs when they they stop him. And then he he kind of forces his way into this group onto this mission. And then when they meet the what are supposed to be the partisans who they find out later dun 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 aren't because they hadn't seen James Bond and realized Richard Keel was jaws <laughs> and a bad guy at one point so seeing him yeah he looks like a good guy sure uh, <laughs> they deal with racism again because we're talking Germany and Yugoslavia and and very prevalent still unfortunately even today in some areas in but definitely back then so they give him a hard time calling him another name uh, in this film and addressing race again in this movie and even later on then it comes up again after they rescue there's a rescue mission to rescue uh uh weaver who is carl weather's character and uh um miller who's the uh, ex- explosive expert 
they even have this scene, this wonderful scene where they're driving this truck. They're being chased by uh, 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 Richard Keel's uh, group, which his character's name is uh, Drazak. They're chasing him, and he won't. He refuses to start the truck because he's like, "You didn't come back for my, you know, basically, you didn't come back for my black ass." He's like, "You came <laughs> back for the, you know, the explosive guy, and I just happened to be there." He's like, "You've left me at every turn." I mean, that comes up throughout this movie, and it surprised me, you know, that they took on that issue. Well, but what's interesting about that particular issue is. Carl Weathers made it his character Weaver mm-hmm. and understandably so given that you know they're not even talking about the 60s we're talking about the you know something that took Late place 70, in the yeah. 1940s oh yeah 1940s not, yeah the movie period, yeah. right yeah um so he's got a big chip on his shoulder about race and for mm-hmm. a good reason but when he is giving that speech and he's like you know you were going to come back for the white guy essentially mm-hmm. uh and Barnsby you know Harrison Ford's character says yeah, he wasn't necessarily talking about race. He was talking about strategy. Mm-hmm. It's not like if there had been, you know, two white guys, they would have like moved heaven and earth to, to get them. Or if there had been <laughs> right. two black guys and we're like, no, if one of those black guys had been the explosive expert, they would have gone back for them because that's the whole point of them being out there is mm-hmm. to blow up the damn bridge. But the other, you know, racially charged moment is in that initial meeting with Richard Keel's uh, Drazak character uh, before anybody realizes that they're, you know, traitorous scum. Uh, they meet this little group and Carl Weathers is there and, you know, there's some like knife play, but Richard Keel comes up and grabs Carl Weathers face and, and starts it. like wiping his hand on it and then showing his hand to the people, you know, behind him, you know, it just made me wonder it's it's a gross moment, but also perhaps one of genuine cultural curiosity. They may have heard of black people before. I don't know if they'd ever seen black people before. So they could be like, wait, are you serious? You're telling me there are people who don't actually look like us mm-hmm. and, and it's, it doesn't rub off. It's not paint. Well, yeah, it's it's partic- it's shocking to watch in 2021. And it, I'm, it's not you know tasteful in any era, but you can almost see from a story perspective these people like treating him like an alien because they can't believe what they're seeing. Yeah. And, and I can totally see that. And I think that's what they were kind of trying to allude to was that these are local yokels, pardon, but basically they are in the middle of Slavia, uh, sheep farmers, basically they, they aren't worldly. Their entire world has been probably their vit. Well, until the war came along, the majority of their reality has been their bubble of fields in their area. So like you said, they may not have seen uh, those who don't look like themselves ever, you know, like that different, that drastic of a difference. Um, you know, my great, great, grandmother from came directly from Yugoslavia and my mom told me that she had never seen a a, a black person on the street before and the first time she saw them she got because the only time she's ever saw the portrayal of a person of color was in books talking about the devil (laughs) well 
that that would that would do it <laughs> you know wow. I, I, i'm just and i'm no, I, up, yeah. and it's wrong no, it's fully wrong but i'm just saying that that is i think the perspective they were trying to go for here but yeah 2020 in any lens it, it's still wrong the way drazak treats weaver absolutely mm-hmm. but at the same time you look at what their culture is and not forgiving it but understanding why they may have reacted the way they had. Um, it's not right, but it it's, you know, just, and then they turn out to be turncoats anyway. And then the end right. turn out to be to bad guys. So that just makes them even worse. Then, then you just have a full reason to hate. Now it's just not, it's like, Oh no, they got to die. Uh, <laughs> well, and that's, and it's, it's interesting too, because when, when we do find out that they're working for the Germans, AKA the Nazis, the Nazis, uh, then you start to wonder how much of that was, you know, cultural innocence, like, Hey, look at this or versus acting. I'm yeah. just, I'm just messing with this mm-hmm. guy. Like we're about to kill all of them. And I hate, you know, <laughs> black people because they're inferior. Right. Uh, as, as he demonstrates, continues to demonstrate, you know, with his language towards <laughs> Carl Weathers uh, throughout the rest of the movie. Right. Um, but it's, it is nice just to see that kind of a, you know, an ass kicking uh, in the climax, you know, <laughs> that, that knife fight get, was pretty sweet. Weaver, Weaver gets a chance to get, to get that pound of flesh for sure. But he also gets kind of gets his ass handed to him, too. And I was I was pleasantly surprised to see him, you know, hanging out on top of that mountain with Miller to watch the dam explode. I thought for sure that when he because I think he's like one of the shots we see him lying there, his both of his arms have been cut up. He might have been stabbed in some other place, but he's just kind of lying there in the field. I think his eyes were open. I'm like, holy shit. But, you know, things worked out. And again, we're, we're not trying to hang on it too much but it just uh, for a world war ii film to put this kind of a subplot theme in it was surprising in a very good way it, it kind of refreshed i'm like because world war ii films a lot of us aren't used to seeing that perspective we're all used to seeing either you know one that the entire army was made of 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 white heroes, you know, storming the beach and that, or that everybody was just holly jolly Christmas with one another, you know. But we're talking seventies. We're moving into these other things, where you, we've already had our our nom films where they've shown the reality of war and that. And and here, while it is overall a light film, you do still get this kind of this running theme and and, and addressing this issue. Which, uh, you know, surprised me. So I just, that's why I wanted to talk about because I, I was, because I love Carl Weathers anyway. I, I love the performer. I really do. I think he's very talented. And to see him, I didn't even realize he was in it. I just picked Force 10 from Navarone because it was a classic and that it had the name Force in the title. I hadn't actually, <laughs> you know. So watching this and seeing who's all in it, I'm like, you know, especially when that opening credits, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. And then it was like Carl Weathers. Oh, well, now I'm full in, you know, Um, and to see that his character gets some screen time more than just being another one of the soldiers that help was also nice to see, you know. Well, what I love about this and I I hope it continues next week. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that you designed it this way. If you did, you're a mad genius. But uh, the three movies we've talked about, uh, Delta Force. Mm hmm. Megaforce, yes, and then Force Ten from Navarone. They're all kind of connected, you know. In Delta Force, they had this scene where Chuck Norris is on the motorbike chasing the airplane. Yep, we get that same thing in Megaforce. 
in Megaforce, it was a big deal that Ace Hunter, Ace Hunter yeah. uh, the reason that he couldn't have his would-be girlfriend, who was more than capable of handling her own, come on that mission is because he's like, we are a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. We have a mission to do. If we have anybody, any outsiders coming along in this, it's going to screw things up and endanger the mission. In this movie, Harrison Ford gives almost that exact same speech (laughs) to his superiors when he's ordered to bring, you know, uh, Miller Mm -hmm. and Mallory on board. And damn it, it, the Megaforce Ace Hunter was right because he said, lady, stay behind. (laughs) And then in this movie, Harrison Ford's like, "Uh, yes, sir. And what happens? Five minutes in the air. Most of his team gets wiped out. There's two of the original crew members, plus Carl Weathers, plus these two stowaways. And, and you've got Han Solo being asked to smuggle two people going on a secret mission up against the evil empire in his, in his ship. <laughs> yeah, I caught that parallel as well. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> Apparently Harrison Ford didn't exactly... He said this wasn't exactly the film for him. Uh, he was really? ha- he, he's like there was some honest people, there was some good performances, but um, he he felt like this was he was not necessarily the the right choice for the film. I thought he worked in this film. He was, I, I thought he was great. I don't know. It's kind of like how John Cusack for decades disavowed Better Off Dead. I'm like, you're on crack, buddy. <laughs> yeah, this was this is a wonderful movie. I think even if I didn't just like giggle inside every time uh, an extra from Star Wars or Raiders, you know, Indiana yeah. Jones movie popped up somewhere in the periphery of the cast, it would still be a hell of a film. Um, but fortunately, we do have a lot of those cameos like Schroeder, the, the guy who played like the the main Nazi captain showed up. He was the main Nazi captain in Last Crusade. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Spielberg borrowed from this cast list. Him and he's like recommending either to Lucas or just pulling him for his own films. And the last in both films, the last time you see the the actor Michael Byrne, uh, he's going over a cliff he's in a vehicle. Going, he's going over a cliff in a vehicle. Yeah, I mean, this has got a little bit of Dirty Dozen in it. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything in it, I, and I just I found a lot of charm in this film you know it, it's at times it gets a little heavy uh but not too heavy uh you know and we've got franco nero as the character oh. of les les Covar, who was fantastic in this and today uh, if i am to believe austin trunick on twitter mm-hmm. uh author of the canon film guide soon to be volume two uh, today is Franco Nero's 80th yeah. birthday. 80th wow. birthday for Mr. yeah. Happy Franco. birthday, Franco! Happy if birthday. he's still alive. I it, hope this isn't one of those things where like he would have been 80. We're just gonna say he would have been 80. He, yeah. he, you know, he he would have been 80. I think I I don't know if he passed. Uh, no, he's still alive. So there you go. Um, but Franco Nero plays a wonderful role as Les Kovar, who is the original character that Mallory and Miller were sent to kill. Yes, folks, spoiler room. Come on. Um, they were sent to kill. That's why they're tagging along with Barnsby and his crew who were sent in to blow up the bridge. Obviously, Miller and Mallory and Barnsby don't know their their own missions originally. They didn't tell each other because they, even though they're allies, they, they're on their own missions. And, you know, but eventually it all comes out and they d- tell that they're there to kill Lescovar. Well, when they run into the actual partisans, 
they say, oh, yeah, that guy, you know, Nikolai, uh, a.k.a. Lescovar, you know, he's actually, he was posing as the real Lescovar. This is the real Lescovar. And he was posing as it, and, and we killed him months ago. And they're like, oh. Well, there goes our mission, uh, you know, and I love that part, too. Here we have this group and Barnsby's guys get annihilated on the plane getting to where they're supposed to go. So he lost most of his force. So they're supposed to blow a bridge that's indestructible. And it's like, oh, I don't have the equipment I should and everything. These guys now supposedly at this point in the movie have lost their target. So these guys are kind of in limbo with the partisans who are trying to stop the Germans from crossing this bridge. Uh, though we, and where I was going is later on, we soon discover and we're like, it's Franco Nero. Of course, he's still the double agent. There's no way that the, he's a good guy throughout this film. Of course, we discover later on that he's the double agent. I loved this character. I did too, especially because even though he's, you know, the bad guy, he's not an all-powerful bad guy. He still mm-hmm. has to work things out and get himself out of some pretty sticky situations and deal with moments where his plan doesn't, you know, work out. Especially the the big thing with the the train oh, God, uh, yeah. at the end. They go to this. Uh, they infiltrate this kind of weapons depot. Uh, Miller goes in. Was he with Mallory at that point? Who yeah, was he with? Mil- Miller, okay. and, Miller and Mallory were together at that point. When they're picking up the mines. Those, yeah, because they, they knew how yeah. to dismantle the plastique in them and actually put them in bags rather than take them, have them in mines. Right. Oh. So they're in there doing their thing. Meanwhile, Barnsby and some other folks, uh, or there are some people on a train. They all kind of get to, you know, reconvene in this train and Miller is getting ready to assemble, you know, these explosive devices <laughs> while the train is like the, the cars are like kind of bucking and stopping Con- connecting and starting and back. Yeah. Back and forth. Right. Yeah. Uh, Franco Nero's character uh, ducks out and he's like, Oh, I've got, there's a, there's a Nazi guard coming. I got to go talk to him. Cause he's the one person in the group who speaks German. Of course, when he gets out, he locks the train car, mm-hmm. goes over to the Nazi guy and, you know, says, uh, yeah, bring the guys around the corner. Bring them. I've got, I've got everybody in the train. It's locked up. Just, just go collect them. <laughs> and then the guy goes around to get his friends, and the train starts to move, <laughs> and it starts to run away. So in that moment, Franco Nero's character is like, "Well, the Nazis aren't hauling ass the way I'd hoped they would, and the train's leaving. So what do I do? Oh, I'll go get back on the train <laughs> and try and get back in the train and say, "Oh no, the Nazis are coming." <laughs> <laughs> and he almost gets away with it too and there's also this wonderful little tag that whole scene where the nazis start running and there's one of the 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 partisans of the force members you know whatever uh bringing up the rear he grabs the machine gun and just mows, mows. all of them down <laughs> but then as he's going to catch it's just like it's a tag on top of a tag as he's running and he's just about to catch the train one of the Nazis like comes up from the pile. He's just barely alive and he shoots the guy in the back and you know, he's dead. Yeah. So the guy, but he, he bided our heroes enough time to get away on the cart. And, you know, all of this comes together and plays out and you're like, well, shit, the, the turncoat still on the train. And he states that, Oh yeah, this one, uh, this train goes nonstop to Sarajevo. And then, uh, then it kind of falls apart for his character 
in a beautiful scene, which I don't care. I, I know Harrison Ford said he wasn't. It's act, it, it, the same guy who brought us Emo Williams, folks. Okay. He <laughs> and, and a number of, of James Bond films. A wonderful scene where they think that's it. They're going to Sarajevo. They're going to, Nazis are going to be right there. They're going to be captured. No one, they're not going to be able to take out the bridge now to stop the, uh, ar- the uh, armor from getting across the bridge and basically annihilating what the partisans have been trying to, to do in the country. But then it clicks with them, and Harrison Ford's Barnsby has a beautiful conversation with Franco to where it's one of those conversations to where they know the bad guy knows that the good guy knows that the jig is up, but they're having this casual conversation as if still putting up the face, but at the same time, everybody knows. (laughs) And I I love the tension and the, the weight of that scene. Well, you know, Ford and Shaw are just so wonderful in that oh. confrontation with Nero because they've, you know, they're kind of talking to him. They've got him over in the corner of this train and one on either side of them. And as they're kind of the charade is dissolving, just watching both actors' faces, you can just wonder. It, it put me in that situation. Like, part of me is talking, part of me is gearing up for a fight. Like, what are they thinking in that moment? They're thinking, at what point is he going to reach for something? At what point do I have to like start scrapping? Does this, do, does everybody have my back? Is this going to work out? Is this the moment where I'm going to die? Uh, because as much as, you know, uh, Franco Nero's character is outnumbered, he's still, you know, not someone to be messed with. Right. They, they know he's still, you know, the, the, co- the, the, the rattler ready to strike or whatnot, but Nero plays this as well just in his facial expressions as they're they're having the conversation to where he's got a very confident look like well yes you know it's just you know it's sad that we won't be able to blow the you know and they're having a conversation then when uh barnsby goes well i saw the guy salute you though for your rank he shouldn't salute you and franco does a wonderful thing with his face where he actually he doesn't say his voice is calm, but his eyes show fear. It's a beautiful scene. And I know, folks, we're making a big, but it is. You watch this scene, and it's like there's weight that you want for this scene. Performances by everybody is solid for this basically turning point in the film. And you just feel that tension. You're there with him. And you see the fear in his eyes at first, and then you see the confidence come back in his face like, oh, yeah, well, you know. Uh, you know, I, I command, I'm, I have a commanding presence. So he just, yeah. you know, he tried, I love that last minute excuse of, <laughs> yeah, I have a commanding presence. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing about like, uh, you also didn't mention that the, the bridge is, you know, like only a, a half, half mile, mile away. away. Yeah. We could, we could walk it. He's like, I, I forgot, you know, it's a bridge, yeah. you know, half mile. I forgot. Um, but, yeah, but when he dies, like his last moments, because Harrison Ford like shoots him, you see that, that expression on his face, that kind of like surprise and sadness. His eyes are kind of watery. It's not a big dramatic, you know, I'm going to take you out with me or he doesn't yeah. die cursing everybody. He dies like, like a human being <laughs> who just, it just didn't quite work out. And you almost wonder if at some point there's some modicum of relief given what he's had to do mm-hmm. ostensibly to survive during this war. We didn't talk about the big scene that led 
up to this and really underscored the danger that the rest of these characters were in, um, there is a drop point, a supply drop that was supposed to happen uh, in these woods uh, with the, the partisans and all these people like lined up to receive this, uh, I guess a, a ship, uh, an allied ship was going to fly overhead and drop and supplies, drop, yeah. munitions and things. It's always a dangerous thing for them because they have to let the plane know where they are in the middle of the night. But at the right. same time, right. Yeah. That, that's why they said these things hardly ever go right. <laughs> right. And so it's a bunch of Russians cause they were, you know, teamed up with the, uh, you know, with the Brits and, and all that to, to fight the Nazis. And that didn't quite work out after the war so much, but no. for the time being it was okay. But you've got all these Russians and, they're standing there like making a makeshift runway holding torches. It was just like this beautiful kind of idea until it turns to instant horror because the supply ship turns out to be a gunship, you know, a, a, a Nazi yeah. plane that just like wipes everybody out and starts dropping bombs. And there's like casualties and explosions everywhere. But right before the attack, Barbara Bach's character, Maritza, who we haven't talked about, you know, she's the daughter of the head of the allies. She's running reconnaissance, you know, hanging out with the uh, essentially the Nazi sympathizer villagers. She's being a, a double agent. Yes. Yeah, which is funny because she she was supposed to be the partisan, but then uh, they were not partisans. They were, uh, I forgot the name of them, but they, they were allied with the Germans. But then you find out, no, no, she actually is a part of it. Like, agent, yeah. agent. It's like, I yeah. love that character. But yeah, she discovered, she's the one that discovers Leskovar. Yeah, out in the woods, communicating mm -hmm. to these forces. And when she runs away, he just shoots her straight in the back. And then right after that, the strike happens. And then the cherry on top of this tragedy, and this is where I knew that, you know, Nero's character was one of the like the most devious badasses I've ever seen in a movie. He comes stumbling out of the woods carrying Maritza's body like, oh, darn, she was killed <laughs> by those monsters. Right. By <laughs> those son of a bitch. <laughs> dang planes. Yeah, it was it was it was cold. It's like. Wow, you just shot her and then you just bring her body out as if, oh no, it wasn't me. Wow, look who I found out in the woods shot. Uh, darn. But it's brilliant because if he had just come stumbling out of the woods, you know, without her, they, yeah, they could have been, been, hey, where were you during this whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it, it was, it was a great, you know, spin with his character. Um, and that's why I found his, all the characters in here really interesting, actually, even, you know, the leader of uh, the uh, uh, of the partisans in that area. This guy gave very little shits about protocol. He's like, yeah, oh, sure. London. Sure. They're going to send supplies. They never send supplies. He's like, you guys are living in a dream world. Us guys out here in the sticks aren't getting any help whatsoever. Well, it's interesting because it's a perspective, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of in in mm -hmm. war movies, the uh, the everyday reality of being in these fights, especially, yeah. you know, pre information age warfare. It made me wonder, like, are there still are there still spies and people running around blowing <laughs> stuff up by hand and like these little alliances and things going on? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are in some parts of the world, but. It's just amazing to think, wow, people actually had to do this. This was like their yeah. vocation. 
It was very dangerous stuff. But what I liked was this whole idea of the breakdown of communication. Uh, you know, the whole idea of the Nikolai character, whether or not that story turned out to be bullshit, it was a plant from Nero to, you know, further cover his tracks as the actual spy. Mm-hmm. But it's completely believable that the person that, that, that these two guys got an assignment to come out and kill someone who had already been dead for two months. Yeah. Because information travels really slowly. You look at the the dam when we see inside mm-hmm. the dam and even the munitions factory, you've got. You know, they're Nazis, right? But they're just people in like gray jumpsuits, like polishing equipment and making, you know, driving trucks and making sure st- they're just like factory workers. And you just wonder about like, yeah, that when we think about Nazis, it's not all just like people guarding camps. It's regular folks doing menial, you know, labor under this, you know, horrible regime. Right. They're they're doing it so they don't get shot killed or put in a camp they may very well be just doing this i mean it's a job and it's keeping them fed and Uh, and alive it's the whole just following orders excuse but you also yeah when you think of you know that time period you get this idea that everyone's like these frothing at the mouth like demons and that's not to let anybody off the hook but it's also the reality of human beings you know yeah there, there were innocents or those who did whatever they had to do to survive which if that meant i work for the nazis in their warehouse loading mines into a train and that's my sole job and that's keeping food in my belly okay you know where am i gonna go this isn't like you said this isn't a time where there's a lot of different transportations or modes of communication or anything you're that's it you know (laughs) but that's it's also you know why and I don't want to get too political, but you know, when people talk about, you know, nowadays they're like, oh, you gotta punch a Nazi. I'm like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, the, the the big evil threats are more insidious than you know, it's not like a superhero movie mm-hmm. where you've got like this super powered bad guy and you, you know, go take up arms against them. It's like these everyday little evils that you have to fight. And it's not always easy to stand up, you know, to that kind of power or yeah. to be the one to the one person in the mm-hmm. crowd to stand up and say I don't like the way you guys are treating the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> well, and even some of them showed a little fear when when the soldiers were getting angry. They were, you know, uh, some of the the workers in that they were kind of like, "Oh shit," you know, <laughs> they're just like because uh, was it uh, we had Mallory and was it yeah Mallory and Miller were in the uh, warehouse dressed as Nazis, but they don't know a lick of German. Uh, which, again, was actually kind of refreshing for a World War II film where not everybody was bilingual to know their enemy. You know, I mean, we've run into that with a lot of films to where there's at least one or two people that understand like eight different languages or whatever. So they could talk to just about anyone they run across to in the countryside. No, no one here understood German except the one double agent guy could speak and understood German. Well, to that to that point, there's also the scene where Harrison Ford is driving. I think he's trying to get through a checkpoint yeah. in maybe it's the munitions thing. And there's the guy at the gate like yelling at him. And then Harrison Ford just goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like drive through. <laughs> it kind of speaks to that same breakdown of protocol that we were just talking about a minute ago <laughs> with the head of the partisans. It's it's like in other movies, it'd be the idea like, oh, you can't talk to the your commanding yeah. officer like that. They're going to suspect something and pull you out of the truck. 
you get the idea that yeah, these guys have to deal with asshole truck drivers all the time too. <laughs> <or something. laughs> I'm not gonna court martial him. He's just gonna go it and then you know. Yeah, just off. let him go. Fine. Uh, we needed yeah. the truck to go, so it goes. So yeah, no mission accomplished there. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's a number of breaks away from from what we're normally used to seeing in a film like that, but we still get we get this wonderful segment near the end though, where all our hero, the surviving heroes that we have, which is far less a smaller number than what we started with, uh, get to blow up the dam because they realize the bridge is indestructible. And Miller goes, yeah, you know, if I got maybe eight hours and a lot of explosives and some peace and quiet, never mind the, you know, German regime that's under at the base of the bridge to block, you know, pr protect the foundation. He's like, yeah, have you got a bunch of lights to work through the night? Yeah. Lights. He's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe I could blow it. Um, so they decide to use water to to wash out the ground where the which actually this is actually kind of a cool strategy to wash out the ground from underneath the indestructible bridge. And so our heroes go on basically what they feel is going to be a suicide mission. <laughs> and again, this was another instance where you realize after it's brought up, you're like, oh, but at the time you're like, well, shit, because uh, Barnsby and uh, Mallory, Robert Shaw and, and Ford, make their way into the dam while uh, Miller is distracting them with a, a faux firefight with explosives like fireworks um and they put the explosives out and they blow the dam but Ian, what happens with the dam the minute the explosives go off because they figure this is the end we don't have enough time we're not going to escape the explosion we're done well, for well that's the thing i want to offer a brief correction they don't consider this to be a suicide mission well no they've got it timed out it's going to yeah. be close because they i think they said that the German the the German convoy is going to be coming across the top of the dam right at 5 30 a.m oh the bridge they, yeah at, at 5 30 yeah. yeah right they get there at like 3 30 so they map it out like right. 20 minutes to get down there an hour to set it up and all this other stuff so they figure it's going to be close but we can get out of there mm -hmm. by the time they set everything up Miller and Mallory look at the the watch and it's like the Germans are late, which is kind of odd because it's like 535. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, they're probably actually like right above us yeah. right now. So or, or, or they're coming across the bridge, the bridge like yeah. further down. Right. Um, so we don't have any time. So I said, well, what do you think? Uh, 20 seconds. Sure. 20 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> so they set the they set the clock and then they walk and then dramatic countdown and then nothing happens. Yeah, there's explosion. There, there's 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 an explosion, but it's not something that takes the whole dam down. You're right. I forgot there there is an explosion. Yeah, they kind of wake up in you know they've got some you know, gray yeah. suit on or whatever, but then they realize it didn't that, to their mind it didn't work, mm -hmm. and then you're like, oh my god, what what's gonna happen? We've seen this a thousand times in movies. The first explosion doesn't work, so someone has to go and like you know connect the or disconnect the blue wire from the red or some <laughs> nonsense. This but is then just. You, Go ahead. Sorry. But then you cut to outside and Miller and Weaver are watching what's going on. Weaver's flipping out because yeah. he's like, it didn't work. You <laughs> son of a bitch. You're so stupid. And how can I, no one should have trusted you in the first place. And Miller's just sitting there like patiently kind of smiling, like, eh, hold on, old boy. It's fine. Uh, just wait. <laughs> um, what there, there's a line and I've got it written down here. Uh, 
you have to let nature take its course give it time it'll work yes yeah. that's what he says yeah um and sure enough uh some german like workers come down to inspect what's been what happened in the dam because they heard something yeah and right as they get down there they notice like there's like water leaking from some of the bricks and then some of the bricks are like kind of pulling apart and then there's a rumble and another rumble it's just like that small little burst set everything off but there was like a time delay and then ford and uh shaw are like let's get the fuck out of here and they start they run right past the other guys like you should come with us they're like what it's a great moment. It's it's a wonderful, serious, you know, climactic moment, but at the same time, added just a little humor because they're hiding this alcove. They're ready. You're thinking it's going to be a shoot type thing, and they let these workers go. And then, as they realize at the bridge, they're like, "You guys better get out of here!" And they just <laughs> run in full English. They're just gone, and the workers are just like, "Huh? Oh shit!" And they're running too. There's nobody who's an enemy here. They're just all people trying to escape the dam, which does right. eventually break it uh, does and then yeah i'm a lot of this looked like it was you know miniature oh, yeah. like model work oh, very yeah. well done but yeah there was some intercutting between that you get to see the dam break but then you see they take their time with this uh the water making its way down the valley towards the bridge i love it because the germans on the bridge they've got their whole convoy and tanks and trucks and stuff coming across it they realize oh shit, this, you know, we got to get off this thing. And they go through, they, they start running in one direction, but then there's, I believe the allies yeah, are the partisans. there with yeah. machine guns yeah. <laughs> to block that direction. So they, they get stuck and then it just starts swaying. I was disappointed that it, we didn't get some like great scenes of like close-ups of the German soldiers, like toppling off with their oh, tanks sure, and equipment. Yeah. But you know, I, we would have seen that today, but you know, for a they did enough. They stretched their budget pretty thin. I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, it was just such a satisfying climax. But you know, I'll, I'll let you talk because I've been rambling. But no, I do want to talk about the very end of this movie, which was just brilliant. I thought. <laughs> yeah, it. I, I love the miniature work. It. It's. I mean, it's seventy eight. So yeah, they could only show so much. We do get to see some tanks fall off the bridge. You do get get the the rocking of the bridge, and what's what really helps make this scene is. We had the leader, as we mentioned before, uh, of the partisans. I think is that Petrov. That was I think that was Petrovich. I think it was played by Petrovich. Al- yeah, played by played fantastically by Alan Battle, B A D E L. I hope I pronounced it right. Anyway, he's a veteran actor as well. Lots of familiar faces in here in veteran. But uh, he comes out, and this is this is a guy who was like, yeah, this bridge is indestructible. He's figuring his guys will put up a fight, but we're not going to be annihilated by this armor. And the joy across his face as he watches that bridge start to shake is the most pure joy I've seen out of character. Like he just, he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> he's like, well. I- but it's it's got a double meaning too because sure. his daughter he just found out like a few hours ago had been you know murdered, murdered in this yeah. attack, uh, and you know you could see in the scene where they kind of reconvene in the bunker, he's just totally despondent. Mm-hmm. You, he's got this thousand yard stares. Other people are kind of talking around him, and then they kind of engage him. He's like, you know, what's the point? You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, when he's watching that you know bridge come down, it means that. You know what they 
the greater good, of course, right. is going to be served. But he's also hasn't wasted his years, you know, out setting this whole thing up, and he hasn't wasted his daughter's life, which I'm sure was a big conversation earlier on. Oh yeah, yeah. It 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 brought some justification and, and meaning to the sacrifices that had been made by a lot of people. To uh, you know, a guy who throughout most of the film stained the course even though he feels you could tell and he he alludes to it through his his motions and his his voice acting for sure the the tone of his voice that they're on an impossible mission that's probably not going to end well for him but he's still putting up the good fight to the very end regardless of never getting support from london never really being forgotten kind of out there almost in a way but yet he's still got that that touch of duty to him to where I'm going to do what I'm out here to do, even if it's inevitable, we're going to fail. (laughs) Well, and that's the interesting thing about it's almost the flip side of what we classic when you hear the phrase, and I think I just used a little bit ago, Mm -hmm. uh, just following orders, we always associate with the Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. Largely, I think because they lost. I mean, when you look at something like force 10 from Navarone, uh, and you've got uh, Petrovich, he was following orders, you know, no matter what. Yeah. Despite the fact that, you know, he was constantly bashing London and headquarters and you know, they, no one knows what they're doing and they're stupid and their orders and misinformation, he still carried on. He didn't give up or abandon his post or desert or anything like that. He just was a good soldier to the very end, which just shows there's there's two ways to look at this situation. That scene, now I just realized while you were talking, sir, you sparked my brain. That's what you do. You you spark or maybe I had a stroke. I don't know. Either as case. As long as you weren't falling asleep. I wasn't falling asleep. I may have had a, a minor seizure. I don't know. But in any case, a little synapse actually fired in my brain. What was very similar to that scene of the bridge collapsing with the water and his look of relief reminded me of the captain in the good, the bad, and the ugly, who smiled when they blew the bridge finally, that he and his forces had been going back and forth for months, just losing guys on this fairly, not insignificant bridge, but at the same time was just, both sides were just losing guys left and right. And our, our cow, you know, our man with no name and his, his buddy, they blow the bridge. And he, before he dies, that captain smiles at just the overall pleasure that that bridge was blown because he couldn't do it because his commander said they needed the bridge, but the Cowboys could do it. And he got that relief. (laughs) And that's what this scene reminded me of was the guy, you know, having that relief of seeing the bridge blow and go, (sighs) (laughs) Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it this yeah again, I don't know why this movie isn't more talked about or highly regarded. I guess it doesn't help if one of the stars disavows it, but uh that last scene where you've got Weaver, Miller, uh Mallory and Barnsby alive up on that top of that, you know, yeah. kind of like in a forest Hill, area. Yeah. yeah they're all celebrating getting ready to bust out the champagne and Mallory's like, well, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Just a few problems. Uh, we're behind enemy lines. We don't have any weapons. We've got a ton of like really salty Germans that are headed our way. And I think there was a fourth thing. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's a really long, it's, it's, we're probably not gonna be able to make it, you know, to safety. 
and then the like everyone else is just kind of like <laughs> oh and then the the, the camera just like kind of pans out as they get up he's like well let's start walking well, let's and then it's like that's walking. the end of the movie <laughs> It's deliciously ambiguous because mm -hmm. it's like it's almost like they're leaving it open for another movie. Mm. But then you're like, I don't know if these guys are actually going to survive. Is this does this count as a happy ending? <laughs> well, especially for Weaver, because, I mean, he's all cut up. You know, he, he's feeling yeah. a little better, but he's still cut up. And and everybody else has been through the ringer. I mean, you know, <laughs> Mallory and Ed Bardsby it, it had stones explode around them. I mean, these guys are kind of beat and up. They, yeah, they, they're they're concussed for sure. I'm sure they just want to, like, lay down and take a nap, but now they've got to run for their lives <laughs> to the woods. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved how that ended, too. It's like, hooray, and we, we don't end on the hooray part, because he's like, yeah, we're kind of literally up a creek. You know, <laughs> but it still has that kind of cheeky, like you Playfulness know, to up, it. Yeah. upbeat music mm -hmm. to it, and you know, yeah, it's like <laughs> come back next week. <laughs> it, it, it part of you is like, well, they're not probably not going to make it, but a good chunk of you too is like sitting there going, well, you know what, they they might if they really move, and and you know, these guys are resourceful, so it's it's kind of hard to say. Um, but yeah, I. It was far better than I thought it was. I just kind of picked it because I saw, you know, the name and uh, uh, one or two people, but I didn't realize who all was in this. And it's surprised. I'm like, this is a solid film. It it yeah. really holds up still. I mean, even you know, even uh, uh, Barbara Bach's character, who at first you think is just going to be another like Ilsa of the SS type of character, because she, when we first meet her, she's just so hardcore, and then. There's a scene where she just mows down a bunch of jerks. It's just like, and then she goes to Harris to Barnsby and go, hit me. And Barnsby's like, uh, uh, what? You just you just saved us. And she's like, look, hit me. And he hits her. And she's like, harder. <laughs> and then Shaw comes in. And and like, Shaw, <laughs> Shaw is just he wastes no no hesitation from him. He just got a clock. But I loved her character, too, because um, she's she's a spy, a double agent, and she's a strong character, actually, in a, in this film. For what brief times we get to see her, she's, you know, she's facing some uh, she gets she gets the snot kicked out of her by Drazik, actually, at one point, once once he realizes what's going on and suspects her to be a double agent. And, you know, they still get her. But it, it wasn't I didn't feel like exactly the damsel in distress thing. It was more like we're yeah. saving a comrade type of deal, you know, which which I yeah. liked. Yeah, um, I, I, I like the fact that this is, uh, you know, a PG movie from this from 1978, meaning that we still get breasts. Yes, we, uh, get, a we get uh, we get a decapitation, Mark. We get a full on decapitation. <laughs> Not like cutting away or anything. It's just like, wow. Yeah, our guys are resourceful. They don't want to, uh, you know, there's a convoy coming by and they need to get into the, this is just before the train scene where they're trying to get into the depot. So in order to take over a truck, instead of, sh you know, ambushing the entire convoy, they let most of it go away until one of the armored trucks with the guys standing up, just, you know, like we normally see the traditional guy you know the captain or whatever standing in the cockpit standing up very confined you know 
confidently and they pull a, a wire across the road and decapitate. I'm like, that's different. <laughs> I thought that it was going to be like, the, it was going to, yeah, run into like the grill of the tank. Oh, right. Because yeah. when they pull the wire across, the vehicles are like in the background. And I'm yeah. thinking, how are you going to stop a tank with a tripwire? Oh, because it's much higher than we thought. <laughs> it's much higher than we <laughs> thought. And yeah, they they pull the old ghost ship in, in a fantastic. It's it plays out wonderfully. It's just like oh, that's how they. And score one for a ghost ship reference. I love that opening scene. Hey, thank you. <laughs> it's been a while, but there you go. So almost twenty years. Almost twenty years. But yes, uh, Force Ten uh, from Navarone. I I think we'll wrap it up here. Uh, it's it's not exactly your standard World War II film, but considering it was made in '78 and it wasn't a Vietnam film, it's very surprising that they even decided to pull the trigger no pun intended, on this movie in 78. You know, this was the last movie completed by Robert Shaw. He unfortunately passed during his his last film, the uh, Avalanche uh, movie, unfortunately. But, you know, everybody puts in a, a solid performance in here, and I think it holds up and, and should be seen. What about you? Final thought with, with this film. Oh, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a wonderful movie uh it's funny it's dramatic it's exciting i mean it's a great adventure movie because yeah again these characters nothing quite goes their way they have to keep finding their way out of these increasingly hairy and unpredictable situations but it feels very organic it doesn't feel it doesn't often feel like uh someone was sitting there like writing a, a script it just mm -hmm. felt like you know well this just happened it it comes off like your great great grandfather or whatever telling you war stories about what happened because mm -hmm. a lot of unbelievable things happened during this time um yeah well, it's uh it's it's wonderful and the characters are balanced in some mm -hmm. films like this like a headline or something they're like the main leader or whatnot but it there's an even power whatever you want to say power dynamic or just an even dynamic across all these characters to where you you don't have the dun, dun 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 you know hero type leader or commander like you said any plan these guys come up with never goes quite right even to the point of Barnsby and Mallory thinking they escaped their captors being tailed by two guys in masks killing them only to find out oh yeah those guys are actually partisan spies too that you killed but no one really holds it too hard against them either at the same time but none of i never got the gist that like any one of these characters is supposed to be like the the guy on the mountain you know light you know hero type like we do get in some you know even though you have the cast of characters one or two are the the guys you root for and who are got the plot armor going on this one i think what led to the tension of the films and why it holds up is especially after you see a good chunk of the Force 10 get annihilated on the plane, you realize just about anyone could die at any point in this film with these characters because you're never given the impression that one has the plot armor for the most part. You, you know, Barnsby and Mallory and Miller and Lescovar and even Weaver and Dre, they all get moments and whatnot to where you're like, I'm not sure who's actually going to live at the end of this movie. <laughs> well, cause there was, and I don't uh, have them 
here, but mm-hmm. there was one. There was like the one guy who was Barnsby's like second in command. He was also in Star Wars. Yep. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the X-Wing pilots. He makes it through a good chunk of this movie. Yes. And you think like, oh, it's going to be him and Barnsby at the end, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like the, the the buddies. And, you know, he gets taken out. I love that Schroeder, the, the Nazi commander, he just gets, you know, shot on by mistake <laughs> by one of his own soldiers during an escape. There's no like he's not a Bond villain. He's just no. a guy. And that's the, the thing is this shows the senselessness and the randomness of war. You know what you're talking about, the uh most of force 10 getting taken out in that plane the 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 nazi planes come around and they start shooting and you see the bullets like ripping through the walls of the the hull of the plane just like taking some people out and like narrowly missing others you've got them ready to parachute and harrison ford is going to like try and check and see who's coming with them and he realizes that the just this pile of dead bodies with parachutes on like it's it's heartbreaking but it's also it just feels very real yeah, it does. It does feel real. And I like the fact that you're not quite sure who's going to survive at the end. I mean, that the the where we mentioned where the bridge blows up, you know, where they set off the explosives, they played for a little while and you fully expect the way the rest of the film went, they're dead. Yeah, I mean, and you accept it and you're just like, okay, well, how are they going to fix this now? Because those two, you know, Ford and Shaw are dead and, and you fully accept it. it it's, it's like, oh, wait, no, they're not. And I liked that because it wasn't like I was expecting them to survive the explosion the way they play it. And it's just, it's handled very well. And yeah, I, folks look, look past the year 2000 for films. Uh, (laughs) Is it a perfect film? No, but it definitely has a lot of things going on for it for a late seventies war film that takes place during world war two. That's a sequel to a movie that came out like, 10, 15, you know, 12 years beforehand. It's like, wow, you know, it it, it kind of goes along with what we were talking about, you know, like you've got the sequel now with, you know, shows you Hollywood's been doing this for a while with sequels to where no distance of time will take a sequel off the board if uh, they can do it. And this one I think holds up and yeah, you should watch it. So there you have it, folks, Force 10 from Navarone. You can see it on Tubi or on Pluto if you got to deal with the commercials, but it's on there for free. Um, I I rented this from Amazon this morning. Or you can and, do that too. Well, no, but here's the thing. On, I just went to see if this is on Blu-ray. Uh-huh. And it is, and it's actually on sale right now. But there's a green stream now with Prime Video button. So I don't know if that's from when I rented it this morning it might or, be if, it, yeah. or if somehow I just paid for it when I didn't need to. <laughs> no, it probably it probably it probably was a rental. No, I mean, it's worth a rental, too. You don't get the commercials because trust me, if you watch it on Pluto, you'll see about the same five commercials about half a dozen times, including the Macy's Day Parade, which I know far more than I need to know about the 95th annual Macy's Day Parade and the balloons that are going to be in it. Thank you, Pluto TV. But I watched it. But yeah. It's worth a watch, folks. It's fun. It's got familiar faces, especially if you're fans of movies of that time. It's got like a who's who of that time in the movie. It, it's six degrees of Harrison Ford, you know, <laughs> specifically for Star Wars and the Indiana Jones movies. It's it's weird. It is. It is weird to see how many of these folks were in other films with other with the same actors later yeah. on. It was, it was crazy to see them all together. So and Carl Weathers, who you normally I'm sure many people are familiar with with 
the predator. Um, it was it's fun to see him in one of his earlier roles, you know, uh, quite a bit. So thank you so much for listening. As always, folks, thank you to our listeners who are ever growing. We are small but mighty, and I appreciate every single one of you out there for tuning in and listening. And now we have uh, our place where it's a license to shill for Mr. Ian Simmons. But stay tuned, folks. Don't just drop out because, one, you need to hear all of the good stuff that Ian does. And we will be announcing tonight the films we will be covering for Horror of 1988. Yes, our special series for next year. I am closing the polls now because I don't think it's going to change in the next eight hours. Uh... So I've got the list here of the 12 films from 1988 horror films that we will be covering. But first, license to shill. Please, Ian, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. You can read my 3,358 word review of Ghostbusters Afterlife if you have nothing better to do and or don't love yourself. Um, You can also find me on YouTube at Kicking the Seat, where I also did a video review of that movie with david fowley of keeping it real uh we do uh, you know interviews and reviews and all sorts of fun stuff uh, several times a week there uh and wednesdays beginning tomorrow night thanksgiving eve we're gonna be going back to our weekly live streams uh talking about a disney plus marvel series this time it's hawkeye our new series hawk talk and mark I, are you gonna join us for this I don't know. I have to see. I may be going to a movie with my son tomorrow if uh, my my wife is kind enough to let me spend some time with my son because she's been missing her son for quite some time. So it's going to be a little tough, and I completely understand. Uh, but well, if I if I don't go let to her, a movie, let her have him from eight thirty until nine thirty, or go to a ten o'clock movie. <laughs> You know, Resident Evil, you can watch at any time of the day. I, I could probably watch it at any time of the day, yes. But I will try because they're premiering two episodes tomorrow, is it? Uh, for uh, one or is two, it just yeah. one and two? Uh, it's not just critics who get one and two. They aren't right. the, like the rest of you elitists. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, I can say it'll be an interesting talk because... Uh, I know some people who love it and some people are like, it's not uh, great. I'm in the I'm in the love it category. Um, but uh, yeah, stay tuned because I have some thoughts about the source material, which I think is going to definitely get some people mad at me on the show. But uh, yeah, that's tomorrow at 830 p.m. Central over on YouTube slash kicking the seat, I guess. And when this is posted, if you don't catch it, you can still catch it because it's archived because it's still out there even after they record it live for you Woo! to view for your viewing pleasure. And now. Horror of 1988. Yes, folks, this went well last year. We did the canon poll, and that was great. And we ended up doing more canon films than I expected. And I suspect next year we're going to do more horror films than just these. Uh, probably not a whole year of horror, but there's going to be probably a, 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 a bevy of horror films, kind of like there were a bevy of canon films this year, just because uh, I'm like that. But here we are, folks, starting from the ones who got the least vote out of the top 12. This is a top 12 results. We had like 25 movies listed. This is the top 12 that got the most votes. So number 12, Black Roses. Number 11, Dead Heat. Number 10, Fright Night Part 2 from 1988, folks. <laughs> number uh 12 11 10 number nine the lair of the white worm 
I've never seen that. I'm I'll I'm excited to see that. Eight, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Seven, Rabid Grannies. Six, Waxwork. Five, Cheerleader Camp. Four, Night of the Demons. Number three, which was a surprise, Maniac Cop with oh. Robert Zadar. Why is that a surprise? Well, that it was at number three. I, I knew oh, it would be okay. in the top 12. I was surprised at how high it was. Ah. Number two, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. And the big surprise, which ended up coming up number one, which wasn't for a while. Night of the Demons was up there for quite a bit. Pumpkinhead. So, yes, folks. Yes. Oh, it's going to be an interesting year in 2022 as we cover the horror of 1988. Films that were in the running up until this last month of voting were Child's Play and Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And those got bumped out by That's the surprising. voting, which surprises me. Child's Play was a surprise because, like I said, that was another one that was up there for quite a bit. But there was a last push in voting in this last month of November that uh, kind of pushed it out. But who knows? You might still see it on a bonus episode or whatever. You know, I was going to say, is that is that me. can we do that or is that cheating? Yeah, I don't know if it's cheating. I, I run the programming on the show. I guess I could choose maybe the the you know uh honorable mentions or something kind of like yeah you know we're doing a block of canon films for december to close out december maybe we'll do something in 2022 so there you have it folks there's the list it'll be posted up on the facebook page for special mark productions and the youtube uh the uh, special mark uh the uh, spoiler room page for uh this podcast so thank you very much folks i've rambled enough hope you're excited i am for next year there will be theme months yet because ian's convinced me to keep doing these theme months to see yeah. what we could come together with and uh yeah with them being sequels we'll probably be watching some other films in these series those months ahead so stay tuned folks thank you so much and next week we've got future force for our last film full for full force month here so thank you so much and i would just say a good night everyone good night you have been listening to a special mark productions production if you're looking for even more spoiler room content head on over to our patreon.com slash special mark productions site where you can join one of our reasonably priced tiers and get access to even more exclusive content speaking of getting access head on over to specialmarkproductions.com and click our new merchandise store link which will take you to our store where you can get some of that sweet sweet spoiler room merchandise and wear the logo of your favorite podcast there's also Final Cut and Special Mark Productions merchandise as well. All kinds of things for all kinds of tastes. We thank you once again, and remember, in the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.